Well, good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, many thanks for uh, Ronald serving us the last couple of weeks. Not sure where Ronald is. An outstanding job. Thank you, Ronald. Thank you guys for giving me an opportunity to serve one of our sister churches over the last couple of weeks. Um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. And so I don't want to take for granted the value of you actually seeing what we're about to be looking and praying about and receiving from God. So if you have a Bible, would you get that out and zone in on Hebrews chapter 12? If you're a person who reads your Bible off of your phone, make sure you turn off the other noise right now so you don't check your emails or interact with a text of somebody asking you where you're going to eat after service. Um, how many of you guys recognize it takes a little bit of intentionality to connect with God these days? Doesn't it? And so even the fact that I'm here doesn't mean that I'm going to connect with God this morning. I could, I could be here and just connect with that chair and get up and walk out of here. And that's not what God has in mind. You know, there's something that God's put in this service. I mean, I've already benefited from just our, our worship of the Lord and our pondering and meditating on God's truth as we sing it. But these, this is God's written word that we gather around and so I want us to benefit from that, for what God has for us this week. You know, we ventured into something that, that predated Hurricane Ida. And uh, it just really sat in the fact that, that we have navigated some difficult times. The last two years, without question, have been a variety of difficult times. And, and unlike everybody else in the world, and I say this graciously and carefully because this is no credit to any of us. God has, God has led us behind the scenes of the world that we live in, right? There's, this is kind of like the secret manual uh, of life. And then the Holy Spirit takes us into this word and brings it alive to us. So we actually get a chance to go behind the scenes and, and stare out at the world and stare out at our own existence and get some answers for why is life the way it is? And... Most of us, I think, would agree these last couple of years have been just a different script of difficult events in our lives. You know, we've had global pandemic events that none of us have, have lived through for the most part, unless we're really, really old. Um, we've had national events that have just been shaking and different. We've had sociological events. Life is being redefined. So many aspects of life are being redefined. There's, there's been changes in the church world. I might touch on that a little bit later on, but changes in our own church setting. There's been personal dimensions, right? A lot of what we face in the difficult category, when it's out there, which is what I want to talk about today, it's, it's when it gets in here that it really takes on impact for us. And, and so many of us have some stories in here. This last couple of years has had some difficulties in it. And you think for a second about your own life, what you've been through, things that have come to your doorstep, right? I'm just aware of just a couple of things interacting with folks this week. You know, we've got a couple of families that many of you guys would know who are dislocated, not by a storm, but, but by the need for a lung transplant. There's two families of ours that live in Houston right now. I hope they're watching this morning. Love you guys. Miss you terribly. Uh, one's already had a lung transplant. And the other one is waiting for a lung transplant. You know, that, that'll disrupt your life a little bit. 
You know, I think about Bill and Nancy are not here with us this morning. Bill sent me a text last night. I'm, I should not have thought about that text. Um, just about a year ago, their whole life was reinvented. And what would have been normal for the 70-something years of life uh, got reinvented last year in, in an incredible way for them. And so we've got stories like that in here. We navigate times that are difficult. And, and you manage difficulty different than you manage sameness. Everything keeps going the same or, or positive things or encouraging things or new vistas, right? You just have a different set of questions. And we, we start to question, why is this happening? Right. Do you think all question why is it happening when it's going really, really good? <laughs> you ever just have that big pondering moment of why, God, why? Why is my stock return so high this year? You know, why did I get that promotion? Why have I I can't remember the last time I was sick? Lord, why? Right? You just don't ask that question in that moment. You save that question for difficult times. And along with why comes a little bit of life interpretation now. Because now you're not just trying to figure out the facts of which came first. Now you're trying to figure out why is it happening. And because we are people who walk with a God who we believe to be a personal God. He's not just some cosmic force out there that can get imbalanced and do weird stuff. He's a personal God. He's got characteristics. He thinks. He plans. He has affection. That just ramps up the question of why all the more. And, you know, why can turn into critiquing. Comparing, complaining, because life can be difficult. When I was reading this thought, Paul Tripp wrote in his book, just trying to help folks find their way through aspects of life. And he, he described life in a way that I think this is just how it can feel sometimes for us. He says, we have, we've cried out to God and wondered if he's heard. Appreciate that word this morning, Sid. Thank you for sharing that. We've felt like we were singled out, particularly for suffering. We've gone through times when we have felt friendless. The struggle has not only been physical, relational, circumstantial, but also intensely spiritual. We, too, have questioned God's presence, faithfulness, and love. We've second-guessed his plan. At times, we have been tempted to wonder who really is in control. Beneath the I'm fine, how are you veneer of Sunday greetings, we have all faced the hardship of the already not yet place where God has called us to live until all is prepared for our final destination. And you guys are not for the first time hearing the already and not yet dimension of what the Bible teaches. Ronald really unpacked some of that for us in the last couple of weeks. That moment where God has shown his hand in the category of promises. He's sent his son and he's accomplished whatever needed to be accomplished to unlock the future for us and to bring to life promises that are off the charts. It's not as though God's saying, hey, just hang in there. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this later on. He, he tells you now. But then that's hard to kind of interact with because what you told us about, we're not experiencing fully. You told us that there was healing, healing in the atonement. There is not a person in this room who's fully healed. And we won't be this side of eternity. 
God promised that there would be provision in our life, that he would never leave us or forsake us. That doesn't mean that one day you won't wake up in need and feeling the weight of that need. Right? So we live in this already and not yet. God has already revealed these things, but they are not yet fully ours. And so we travel through a moment where difficulty lives in this setting with us. It's almost like being in a waiting room in some ways. Hebrews, to me, feels like a waiting room. It's these incredible promises, but then it's telling you, oh, but you can't really have them all yet. And what that's doing to folks in our day, you know, you've heard me use the term deconstruction, people deconstructing their faith. That's always been, you know, it's a New Testament reality. But when things get difficult, it becomes tempted to question the things that you have built your life on and you begin to deconstruct them. You begin to say, God's not really that way. How could a God be that way? How could a God let this happen? And today there is a warfare that's making folks more vulnerable to those questions than ever. Hebrews is a letter to people who are in that moment. Life is feeling like that for them. They're asking those questions. They want to deconstruct. They want to walk away. They're tempted to do that. And make them real for a second. In, in this room, there are, there are quiet deconstructors. There are sad deconstructors. There are angry deconstructors. Do you know which one you are? When you go to just deconstruct things, what kind of mood you get in? Well, make these people in Hebrews real. They're real people. They're sad They're detached. They've gotten alone. They're angry. And they need some help. And so the writer of Hebrews steps into their situation. and He becomes their counselor in this moment. And and this is what he has to say to them. And I find it kind of interesting what he has to say. And that's why we've picked up his counsel to them in in beginning the end of chapter 10. And we've kind of moved through 11 and 12. And so you listen to this counselor say, hey, Holy Spirit inspired counselor. What do I need to hear? Um, Well, you need to hear this. You have need of endurance. Remember, we spent the first couple of weeks talking about endurance. You have need of endurance. Because in God's plan for you, in this moment you're living in, suffering is a part of God's plan for you. It's divinely strategic. It is accomplishing something. And he unpacks all this understanding about the fact that suffering doesn't just go away yet. It will, but it doesn't go away yet. And then he goes a little farther and he starts to describe the race that you're running. You're running this race and it's an endurance race, by the way. And well, have you forgotten this, that, that, God is treating you as sons. And what son does a father have that he does not discipline? So the next thing he introduces us to is, hey, you're navigating this season. God is engaging your life. And there's this disciplinary activity of God in your life where he is preparing you for something. He's reshaping you in a way that you could actually experience more of his life that you couldn't experience if he didn't do this in your life. And then in that same section where we're going to get today, He moves into this other category of explaining why is life feeling this way? Why are you tempted to quit? The last thing he says, because God sometimes is doing some stuff beyond your circumstances and he's shaking the world. Now, this is this is not Keith constructing. Hey, let me come up with a few ideas that'd be helpful. 
This is the, the inspired word of God in Hebrews saying, let me step into your pain. Let me step into your confusion. And this is what you need to know. So this is how grace is going to come to us as we read this passage today, as it has been coming. God is going to bring grace in the form of insight and instruction. All right, so God's going to give us an insight and then he's going to give us some instruction. Okay, and that's going to be how grace comes to us in our hour of need. So let's read together Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to get to the paragraph that just starts in verse 25 today. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Now, just in case you're not following along, at that time is a reference to actually God showing up at Mount Sinai when God revealed himself. And remember, God could have shown up and done anything. He could have told jokes. He could have passed out flyers. He could have a plane fly over and drop leaflets and a little book about himself. You remember the scene at Mount Sinai? That's not an accident. That's a God-designed encounter, right? So God did something in that moment at Mount Sinai. You guys remember we studied through Exodus together. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray just for a moment. Lord, I thank you that what we know of you, the God who breathes his word into existence and preserves it and brings it to us. Lord, you want these words to find us. You want these insights, this wise counsel to weave its way into the storyline of our lives, our own day of difficulty our own struggles, that, that you are not overlooking them. Lord, no, you have inspired words to find us in this moment. So Lord, no matter what form our difficulties are taking this morning, would you let these words find us and let them be buried in our souls that they may be grace to us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just interact with something. As you interact with this passage, this is very much, I mean, the Bible's sitting down and giving counsel to us. It is engaging your moment. Now, listen, I, I don't always receive counsel the same way. And, and depending on the person, depending on the book, depending on wherever I'm getting it. And the Bible doesn't always sound the same way. And the Bible's not always trying to accomplish exactly the same thing in every passage, right? So when you pick the Bible up, you'd be right to say, hey, sometimes the Bible comforts me. Sometimes the Bible encourages me. Sometimes the Bible commands me. Sometimes the Bible explains something to me. Sometimes it strengthens me. Sometimes it stares at what I'm doing and corrects me. Right? So what you find in this passage is insight and then instruction. 
right? So we're, we're going to, God's going to explain something to us. He's going to take us behind the scenes and he's say, okay, I get it. You may have overlooked this. Hey, did you forget that God deals with you as sons, right? That's an insight. And did you know that God is shaking things in this world? Um, I guess that's an insight, right? It's something God's saying, hey, when you go to do your life, don't forget this. But then there's going to be instruction as well. So insight and instruction. And then one more thing here, because this language is pretty heavy sounding, quite honestly. It's heavy. And for a New Testament audience, it can almost sound like, okay, this, this sounds like an echo of the harshness of the Old Testament. That really kind of doesn't apply to us. Uh, you'd be making quite a mistake to do that because this writer goes out of his way to pull that echo into the right now on purpose. Right? He uses things like warnings here in verse 25. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we. Now that's right now. That's New Testament audience right now. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Did you know God still warns people? Warning has that, that sense of intensity to it, right? It's got a little heat with it when it comes. And, and somehow you and I would make a massive mistake to, to believe that the God of the New Testament has lost his heat. We're not even going to get out of this paragraph until we get reintroduced. So our God is a consuming fire. Not he used to be one, kind of ran out of fuel. He's chilled. He's the New Testament God. You don't get any of that, do you? And, and you know, at the same time, everything I just said does not take the New Testament concepts and reduce them, minimize them, or eliminate them. They are all our God together. And so there's something in moments when you and I are in our deepest discouragement that I might still need to have God warn me about something. Right? I can ask every one of the parents here who love their kids. You know, there are moments when your warnings have got intensity to them, don't they? And usually it's because your kids have ventured into something that's caused the warning like to go off inside of you. You don't want that to continue. You don't want them to go where it looks like they might be going. And you engage that with some intensity. You tell some story about your own life and what happened to you. And, and listen, I just want you to be aware. And, and there's a sense of disapproval feeling in that. Right? Let's not get so weird. I don't know what it is. We're so weird. We're so, we're, I don't know. We're too fragile. Is that a good, good word for today? That like God can't show up and do anything but stroke us and tell us, you are so awesome, Keith. <laughs> Have I told you that lately? <laughs> so there is a loving God who knows that I am prone to wander. And so sometimes there are warnings that come, even in moments where I am discouraged. Because that's where these guys are. And yet there is warning here. And, and there is still a God here who is a consuming fire. He is in the realm of mystery. He is beyond us. He is intimidating by nature. Kent Hughes describes this introduction in Hebrews. He says, from Mount Sinai... We learn in Moses' words that God is a consuming fire. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God, he said in Deuteronomy. 
The vision is stupendous. A mountaintop blazing with fire to the very heavens, cloaked with deep darkness, lightning illuminating golden arteries in the clouds, celestial ram's horns overlaying the thunder with mournful blasts. Right? Can you get this scene? The ground shaking as God's voice intones the Ten Commandments. God is transcendentally other, perfect, perfect, good, and holy. He radiates wrath and judgment against sin. God cannot be approached. This is the vision for the heart of every believer. The Lord your God is a consuming fire. It is the corrective so needed in today's church that has shamefully trivialized worship, turning it into a self-assured farce. Here, God's divine intention in creating, listen, creating Sinai is obvious because, quote, a picture is worth a thousand words. Flaming Mount Sinai shows us God. Do you remember how God explained that event later on to the Israelites? I have come to you that the fear of me may remain in you. It's like, God, why'd you show up with all the fireworks and the loud noise and the earth shook and everything that could freak human beings out. Remember what they said? Uh, Hey, Moses, uh, thanks for bringing us to Mount Sinai. But I tell you what, you talk to God and you come back and tell us what he says from now on. We don't want to have any more conversations with God. Can, Can I just tell you, that's not God fumbling. You know, God doesn't go back up to heaven and have a council with the, with the Trinity and go, oops, I didn't mean to freak everybody out. What was I doing? What was I thinking? Now they're all scared of me. Can, can you get your mind around the idea that God actually intended for people to be freaked out by him? Does that help you at all? Or does that just make you want to back away from God? See, when I face life and life is full of more moving parts than I can interpret, and it's harder for me than I could ever come up with a math equation to figure out, I need a God who is beyond me. I need a God who's mysteriously more powerful than me. I need a God who's capable of freaking me out. And I need that same God to reveal to me more than lightning bolts, by the way. If that's the only revelation that we got is Mount Sinai, which Mount Sinai is is a great revelation of God, but you do recognize it's not the only revelation of God. God shows up in other places and there's no lightning and there's no loud horns and there's no shaking of the ground. But God did that in purpose. So I I might need, my moment of difficulty might need for me to be in touch with the fact that I am entrusting my life to a God who freaks me out a little bit. Who's got some power and some activity about him that I just don't get. It's just beyond my pay grade. That's actually a helpful insight. And it's actually an intentional insight from God. So God shows up in this moment. He references back to, hey, I don't know if you guys remember the last time I shook some stuff. And you guys remember that. Let me talk to you about me shaking some things. And now there's this insight that comes. To a people going through difficulty, God brings this insight. Verse 26. Now he has promised yet once more, I will shake Not only the earth, but also the heavens. I will shake some things. And you could be in that neighborhood when I do it. That's what this is describing. 
Now, don't overlook what we've already learned, right? We've already learned that in our day, we could encounter strategic suffering in order to build endurance with us so that our faith takes us all the way to the end. You could encounter the Lord disciplining you personally, getting involved in you strategically and personally so that you have more space to experience the power of God and his presence and his holiness in your life. And you could also be walking through a season where God is shaking some things. But I think the shaking some things gets a little less personal. I think God is always doing things that touch us in ways. But God has shaken the world in some of these settings. He's shaking big settings, right? So God steps into the world in Genesis chapter 6 and he shakes the whole world by flooding the whole place. The whole world, right? Some serious shaking going on in that moment. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, how much sense would it make for any of us if we were in that moment to be going, God, why are you doing this to me? To you? Do you get that you're a part of something else besides just you? That there's other stuff going on in the universe that God is governing? You can't ask that question. That's the wrong question. When God allows there, ordains there, manages a famine in all the earth so that people get collected to Egypt where his people are going to go. And and a young man named Joseph, whose situation is going to turn really, really bad and really, really sour, but he's going to become the second most powerful man in all the world. God was shaking some things. God was shaking the whole world. That famine wasn't just about Joseph's family. But it was about Joseph's family, wasn't it? And then after centuries, God steps in and shakes the power structures of the world. The most powerful nation on earth, Egypt and its Pharaoh, are going to get shook. And God's going to shake free his people. And he's going to bring down their power. And he's going to take a little bitty people group who's been dominated for all these years. And he's going to relocate them. And then a few years later, he's going to shake the power structures of the world again. And a group of Babylonians are going to get raised up and suddenly they're going to become this dominant force. They've got an offense that nobody can stop. And you know why they're so good at what they do? Because God was shaking the world. You know, the Babylonians weren't great because the Babylonians were great. You do recognize God ordained that the Babylonians would conquer the world. And then God turned around and ordained that the Persians would come behind the Babylonians and conquer them. And let God's people go. God shakes things. God shakes the world. And his people are part of a storyline that we don't always get all that. But God clearly says, hey, I just want you to know, not, not only the earth, but the heavens as well. Anybody understand what that all means? If God were shaking the heavens right now, could you explain that to any of us? Could you say, oh, yeah, man, yesterday, let me tell you what I saw. You might. We might have some insight into that. But it may be that God shakes some things that's just a little bit beyond our understanding. But he's telling us he's doing that, so it's helpful. Let me bring this one, one thought here. I wrote in your outline. Sometimes something God is doing in our lives is connected behind the scenes to some kind of shaking that God is doing that lies beyond us. It's not just about us. It's about something bigger, right? If you've ever read this passage and you've never really pondered it very much, this is a curious passage. Genesis chapter 15, 
God is going to make a covenant promise to Abraham. And this is how it sounds. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. All right, this is God looking forward to the event that, that stops at the Exodus. Right, so this is God looking forward to the day famine's going to come. People are going to all go to this land of Egypt, including God's people. And when they first get there, right, they're welcomed, right? They're celebrated. They're guests. They're given a place to stay and they're given land. It's a great deal. And then it turns bad after that. And they get oppressed and they come under slavery. And in this passage, we find out they're going to be there. Their life conditions are going to be afflicted. And it's going to take 400 years. And then we get a little bit of a hint as to why in this passage. You ever wonder why it took 400 years? Really, God, couldn't you have just done this in 40 years? One generation? 100 years? Why 400 years? You ever ask why something's taking so long in your own life? Right? This is sometimes probably why God doesn't answer that, because the answer is just a little bit big. Verse 14. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here, right into the promised land, in the fourth generation. Why? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Why are you going to take 400 years, God? Well, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Alan Ross in his commentary says, one of the reasons for the Israelites' long-term bondage in Egypt had to do with God's justice toward the Amorites. God told Abram that the sins of the Amorites had not yet warranted their destruction. They were not yet full. In order to give the promised land to Israel, the inhabitants of the land had to be dispossessed. It was part of the curse of Canaan. God would give Israel the land, but not one day before the justice of God allowed it. God would tolerate their sins of the Amorites until they were fully deserving of judgment. Thus, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham involved a retributive judgment on the people of the land. Until then, God would send the family to Egypt, where it could become a great nation and where God could discipline them to make them fit to receive his promises. So their life conditions and the timing, the timing, don't most of us struggle with timing issues? Why is this delayed? Why is this taking so long? So God reveals something here. I'm doing something over here that has to do with your situation. I kind of doubt that while they were in Egypt, a bunch of them were going, do you think those stinking Amorites are bad enough yet? Will you guys get on with this already? We'd like to get out of here. I don't think they got what God was managing around the universe. I just think they were like, how long, Lord? How long are we going to be abandoned by you in Egypt? How long are we going to wait under these kinds of conditions? But this is a moment where God goes behind the scenes. And he says, I'm just going to let you in on something. When you're over here and things are delayed and things are hard, I have not forgotten you. I have set timetables that involve the universe. And I am performing my will 
everywhere to accomplish my purposes, both here and in other places beyond you. Right? That's what God is doing here. And that's what he's doing in our lives as well. All right, so we are not the Egyptians, we're the Israelites under Egypt, but, but you and I live in a moment. And I have heard more people say this in this weird moment that we're living in. Turn to Matthew chapter 24 if you have a Bible. How many of you guys have questioned the thoughts in the last two years of whether we're in the last days? <laughs> My kids have sent funny stuff sometimes and it's like, it's funny to see what gets interpreted as these are the end times. I think the Superdome being on fire was one of y'all interpreted as the end times. This has got to be the end times. The Superdome's on fire. Um, so it's funny what we pull into this equation. But the reason why we do it is because the Bible told us something. That in the end times, things would get weird. More accurately, things would get difficult in the end times. So when we bump into difficulties, we're not wrong. We're actually using the manual God gave us to interpret the life that we're in. So how do I make sense of these difficulties? Now, I'm trying to rescue some of us from turning all this into personal landmarks. Where everything difficult is because what you haven't or have done as a Christian. You know, your level of faith and whether you're obedient to God and whether you read your Bible enough. And, and just living in that place where your difficulty is this self-generated misery. If you just do right, your life would be a happy place. So that's why it's going bad for you. Because of you. Uh, you haven't read much of your Bible, have you? If you've concluded that. Right? There are lots of characters like Job and others who they were having a sunshiny great day. And next thing you know, for reasons that don't make a lot of sense, their world is upside down. But there's this time period that more than likely you and I are living in and will pass through that sounds like this from Matthew chapter 24. Jesus left the temple, was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. I'm not, I'm not sure they're using the same terminology today. Uh, I am the anointed one. That's what this was saying. But there's a lot of stuff out there right now telling us that it's got the answer, right? The science out there has the answer today. I mean, everywhere science says, science says. So there's a lot of people coming and saying, I got the answer. I'm the one. Verse six, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes and hurricanes. Okay, so that's the, that's the Louisiana translation. In various places. All these 
are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you, you. Who's the audience in this conversation? Disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, the hand-picked apostles who walk with Jesus get to hear this is what your future contains and those who follow Christ. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and invent cancel culture. I'm sorry, that's the modern translation. Uh, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now that is that passage. I'm tempted to chase a rabbit terribly right now. Chase it. <laughs> Do you understand there's a strategy in God to get us to the end? When Jesus says that, it's not enough just that you made an altar call. Now get your theology, once saved, always saved, whatever you want to call it. But but you're ignoring a lot of the Bible that doesn't treat this like, hey, you came forward and you prayed? You prayed a prayer at Alpha? You, you, you prayed a prayer on a card one day? You went to a Billy Graham meeting and you went and prayed a prayer. So you look back to that. Do you understand? Jesus isn't just looking back to that moment when you prayed a prayer. He wants to get you to the end. And so all over the Bible, there's this enduring word. It's everywhere. That your faith right now matters to God. Not just the one you confessed 25 years ago when you got saved. Your faith right now matters. And the fact that the destiny of your faith is at the end when we stand before God. It's not at the beginning when you first confess. It's got to get you to the end. And so now Jesus is saying, can I just tell you, between where you are right now and the end, there's some serious difficulty. Serious difficulty coming. And you're going to live through it. And it's going to have this kind of characteristic and this kind of characteristic and this kind of characteristic. And by the way, it's the one who endures all that to the end that will be saved. You understand God would stop qualifying to love any of us if he left our faith in the condition it was when we first got saved. There's a God who divinely tampers with our faith because it cannot stay where it was. It has to grow. It has to stay latched onto him and believing in him and he's messing with it every day of your life. And that's where you get Hebrews 11 and 12 from. This is what it feels like when God messes with your faith. But why does he mess with it, God? Why can't you just leave it alone? Because I want you to get all the way to the end, Keith. And I know what it takes to get you there. Can you just trust me? Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. If you keep reading here, this is going to get described as a, as a great tribulation. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, it never will be. Then you get down a little bit further in there in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, could you and I be living through those days right now? 
and experiencing the tribulation that comes with those days. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. When God shakes things, what begins to happen around us are in these passages. Wars break out, natural disasters, tribulation and death and being hated. Falling away begins to happen. I think some of the guys who've been around for a while, been discipling people for a while would probably agree with me. We have seen more significant falling away in the last two decades than I can ever remember. People who thought, man, they got to walk with God, who have not just just decided they're just not coming to church anymore, but disavow their faith and no longer call themselves Christians or want to be associated with Christianity. Seen that happen at a level, it's like, man. So you look at that and 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 you wonder, right? You try and you ask questions. You're trying to diagnose. What's the deal? Well, it's because, because preachers aren't preaching the word. Hallelujah. Well, that could be. It could be in a lot of places. And, and it could also be because God is shaking this world right now. And we are in a time period in which when God shakes, some of the things that happen are falling away and people deconstructing their faith. Betrayal and hatred. False leaders and false belief systems. Increased lawlessness and decreased love. Now, here's the thing that I would, I'm sobered by when I read those descriptions. If God starts to shake stuff, you know how an earthquake is, right? It's got an epicenter. And then from miles and miles and miles away, you can feel the vibration of it. We would be foolish to think that when God shakes the power structures of this world, you and I aren't going to feel the vibrations. They're not going to show up a little bit in our church, in our own lives. I wish I could say, as I stare out at the body of Christ, I wish I could say, I don't see any of this stuff. I don't see anybody betraying anyone. I don't see anybody who was totally okay with you yesterday, totally wrong with you today because, oh, you got on the wrong side of a secondary issue. I'm done with you. I'm done with your church. The sense of antagonism has grown in people's hearts and they'll cut you off and cancel you overnight. They were Christians bought by the same blood of Christ that you're bought by. They want nothing to do with you now because you voted wrong. Are you kidding me? Might this be the vibrations of God shaking the earth and you and I are a little bit too close to the earthquake and a little bit too aligned with some of the stuff God's shaking because he's shaking these man-made things and you and I were clinging to them and now we're being shook by them. The good thing is God's doing something really, really good in our lives when he does that. He is reestablishing in our hearts a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's taking fragile things that we never should have been gluing ourselves to. And he's saying, I'm trying to give you something that can never be taken from you. And it'll never fall apart. John Piper says, calling the earthquakes and wars and famines birth pangs is important for two reasons. First, it means that there will be an increasing frequency of these things as the end comes near and that the intensity of them will increase 
because that's the way it happens with labor pains before birth. Second, it means that what these earthquakes are leading up to is something wonderful, like the birth of a child. The labor may be painful, but it's, it is full of hope. They are the birth pains of the kingdom. They are God bringing us nearer to the day when all the broken dysfunction of the world that we live in and of ourselves comes to an end and a new day is born and a new kingdom comes and it's not like that old kingdom. Global events. Let me just give you a couple thoughts about global events and zero this in on us. Be mindful that God does things in the way he reveals them. These, these are global events that feel a little bit different than personal events. I think that that description in the beginning of Hebrews 12 where God is treating you as sons, that feels a lot more personal. That feels like God zeroing in on God's got steps and, and something ordained from my life that he's preparing me for. And he's interacting with my life so that a year from now, five years from now, I'm equipped. I'm ready. My faith is in a different place. I'm walking with God. God's got something personal going on dealing with me as a son. But this doesn't feel like that. <clears throat> this feels like global activity. This feels like big things that God is doing on planet earth that you and I just happen to be neighbors God in no way is capable of shaking things and oops, forgetting us. He's not capable of doing that. So just like what God was doing with the Amorites had everything to do with God doing something to the Egyptians, he's managing things that are just beyond you and me. And, and he's revealed himself that way. But I think they're a little bit more global in nature. So as I'm, I'm interacting with the shaking that's going on, uh, I think that's a dimension of shaking. I think uh, shaking is designed to further the coming of the kingdom. It is God's timeline. And when you get to this timeline, the world's going to change whether you did anything or not to bring it there. So if your world gets turned upside down in these moments, um, you, we may just be traveling through God's timeline in that the, the tribulation is increasing because it's God's time frame. He's accomplishing something. He's ushering something into this moment and he's doing some things that are showing up by shaking our lives. But there is a strategy here, right? That I, I do think we want to be in faith for. Verse 27 says, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that all right, so God, you're doing this strategically. There, there's, there's design and there's intentionality and there's, there's something you're after in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. All right, so that tells me something about God that could get very personal with me. That God does shake things that are shakable and fragile and breakable in order to establish things that are not in this world, in his purpose. And I believe in my life as well. So God could disrupt things that have become familiar to us. God could disrupt things that we have become dependent upon. God could touch things that are in our world that supply something to us that God is saying, I, I want something else right there. I want something Steady and movable, more about me right there. And so when God goes to shake things, that certainly could be something that God is doing in our own lives. 
you and I have lived through some shaking. We've lived through this form of shaking, uh, this global event that we have just walked through, this pandemic event that paralyzed world global economies, employment situations, right? And y'all just worn out with the fact that you can't find a a place to eat after like seven o'clock because they can't hire anybody because there's nobody wanting to work right now. And it's, it's like our world has gotten all these little strange disruptions in it. There are, there are disruptions globally right now. There is a problem with the way in which a pandemic is being managed for people who are in the shipping industry that is clogging up shipping lines all around the world. So true story. Uh, we had to move out of our house, move into a rental. And it's kind of like we, we took the hurricane event with us and we don't have air conditioning on a regular basis in this rental. It just breaks for no reason. And so we are all sleeping in one room. Again, that's what we were doing. We could go back to Destrahan and do that, but we're in Metairie now doing that. And uh, we had a person come out to repair the air conditioner and, and he broke the really bad news to us that, well, if this thing needs to be replaced, kind of like, good luck. I don't know where you're going to find a unit. There's a bunch of them sitting off the coast of California right now. So like, oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so how, how, how wise would it be for in that moment for me just to crawl in my prayer closet and go, why are you doing this to me, God? What? I, I'm not sure whether God turns around and says, Keith, it's a global event for goodness sake. <laughs> the air conditioner sitting on a ship somewhere that can't get on shore because there's nobody working because they got COVID and went home. Can you imagine that's a little bit more than just you going on right now? I mean, I'm waiting for roof shingles, right? Is that, it's probably sin in your life. That's why you don't have a roof shingle on yet. <laughs> Right. You just repent, poof, all of a sudden a roof will be up on your roof, not nailing stuff down. Or maybe there's some other shaking going on. And you and I are living in the vibrations of those shakings. And they're touching our lives in real ways. Right? That's biblical. That this last decade has shifted things. This, this, this did not begin with COVID. The shaking that God has been doing in our world uh, there, there has been all kinds of principles and philosophical shaking that's been taking place for decades now in massive ways. And it is touching our world. It's interfering with our relationships, whether we get along with each other. It's vibrating right up to our doorstep in this moment. And don't overlook that some of these woes and difficulties and tribulations... They, they touch God's people. They're, they're shaking, but they're touching God's people, right? Remember, Romans 8 explains the biggest shaking event that exists in human history. God has subjected the world to futility. He has, he has stuck that in every corner of the world. So everything you touch brings on groanings for something more than this. Everything you touch, just touch it long enough. And eventually, you will groan. The creation is groaning, saying, you know what? Somehow God doesn't seem to be anywhere to be found. And we know there's more. The the creation knows that. But then the Bible turns around and says, oh, by the way, you Christians know that too. When you touch stuff, it's full of groaning and you start to groan. You start groaning as well. I've said that before. If you're one of those Christians who think you're not groaning, you're just not paying attention. God is making the world 
a groaning place. He is shaking that. You're experiencing that. When God breaks out in the centerpiece of all that he's doing on planet earth in Jerusalem, and there's a prophet named Jeremiah there whose work is to proclaim God's word, to restore God's people, to preach to a people, to turn back to God. Do you understand? They're not going to turn back. I don't know how frustrating it was to be a pastor then. But I don't know, he couldn't gather a crowd. You kidding me? And then the ones that he did were there because they wanted to mistreat him. Maybe you're here for that reason too. <laughs> but he was walking in God's purposes. God was shaking a nation. It was much more than Jeremiah, right? So be careful when you and I go to figure out what is going on <clears throat> in this shaking. One more thought from John Piper. He says, receiving... An unshakable kingdom does not mean safety for the body in this world. It does not mean that we'll escape the earthquake. It means that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It means the deep and abiding certainty that whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. It means that here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city which is to come. A city whose builder and maker is God. A city that cannot be shaken forever. All that insight, that's insightful. That's God saying, hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but when you feel the difficulties of this world, I'm doing stuff. Let me just explain that to you. And that's what God does here in Hebrews chapter 12. And then God turns around and gives instruction after all that insight. And that's in verse 28. Therefore, right, as a result of all that I've just explained to you behind the scenes, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. All right, so remember where we started. We started this journey a few weeks ago recognizing that there are difficult times. Global difficult times, national difficult times, tribal difficult times, church difficult times, personal difficult times. When you get in them, God says, I think you need some insights for this. And he gives several there and he concludes with this shaking thing. And then he calls for a response from us. And the response is twofold. Gratitude and worship. Now, if that's going to be a real response, right? If gratitude is going to be real, gratitude always needs reasons to be grateful. You know, it's kind of like, you know, tell your grandmother thank you for the tie. <laughs> that kid can't find a reason to truly be thankful for that tie, <laughs> right? You know, <laughs> I wanted a basketball. You got me a tie. Thank you. You know, that, just, that's, that doesn't qualify. We need reasons for gratitude. 
Now, the good thing is, if I just go back and reread chapter 10, 11, and 12, God just supplied a bunch of reasons. He just explained eternity to us. He just took us out of our little temporary time zone and showed us incredible great things. He showed us his nature and his character and his heart, what he's up to in our lives in these moments. He took us behind the scenes so that we'd stop just seeing what natural eyes can see. He has given us reasons to be grateful. And then he takes it a step further. Because this is where God ultimately is going. You know, if you're the most grateful person on the planet and you got no relationship with God, uh, you don't get high marks for that. Gratitude means you understand something about God. And once you understand something about God, you worship God. You are bowed low. You are amazed. You are impressed. You are affectionate. Your heart is toward this God. You're eager for him to receive glory from our lives. And so let me bring us to a point of, of, of reality this morning. And I know we're so busy and life is so noisy. So can I, can I just get us to just settle in for a second? Just personally, I want you to just personally settle in. I want you to just be able to, to interact with those two words in your moment of difficulty. How, how's gratefulness feeling right now? When's the last time it just kind of bubbled over from your life and you were able to stare into difficulty? Remember, I love this passage because it's not set in a land of abundance and everything's going my way. These guys are struggling and they want to quit. And some of them are depressed and some of them are angry. But in that moment, God says, let us be grateful. Because we have an awareness of some things that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken and it's on its way. And that difficulty you're tasting right now, it's a birth pain. It means the baby's almost here. And I mean, have you done the math on hurricanes? They seem to be getting more frequent, right? Am I the only one who recognizes that? Right? Especially if you grew up in New Orleans, you had two landmarks in your life. I remember Betsy. You know, you're pretty old if you do remember Betsy. I was one, slept through it. And then... 40 years later, you get Katrina. 40 years later, you get Katrina. So between those two, I don't remember much. Couple, dodged a couple of bullets, but you know, not a lot going on in the hurricane world in New Orleans. Since Katrina, whoo. I mean, our state has been wrecked over and over again. Then Ida shows up and does kind of like a repeat performance for Katrina in some ways. Not quite as big, but... That's only been what, 16 years? So if we just tried to measure birth pains by hurricanes, can we recognize they're speeding up? Might that mean the kingdom is closer today than it was yesterday? That the longing of God to usher in a new heaven and a new earth where nobody cries anymore and nobody even knows of anything about suffering ever again. And they live in the goodness of God for all eternity. That day is nearer today than it was yesterday. So when I stare at that, something in me goes, oh God, that's true. Thank you. Thank you for that. And then to have a God who could pull all that off. And to be wise the way he is, who can manage the Amorites and his own people all at the same time. Wow. 
that inspires something of worship in our lives, does it not? So let me just, let's, let's bow our heads for a moment before Keith's going to lead us in this last song. Lord, I'm so grateful that you press beyond the headlines that we present to you. As you did for these folks when you inspired this letter of Hebrews. People who were ready to cast off their faith. They were told, no, don't do that. People who were ready to quit. No, no, don't do that. People whose difficulties were causing them to lose people in their lives. People who had lost opportunities and were never going to have a chance to have this or do that. They'd lost their goods. They'd lost their homes. But this is what you bring to them. God, we can see how this would be helpful to us as well. You inform us about who you are and what you do. And Lord, we confess we don't get it all. We just don't get it. It doesn't always make sense to us. Amorites, who are they? God, this morning, we just recall what we do know about you. That you're our father. You bottle up our tears. Count the hairs on our head. You promise you'd never leave us. You go before us. You curse those who curse us. You stand against an enemy who would destroy everything in our lives if he could. You give us your word, you give us your spirit, you give us one another. God, we don't overlook that. And you have made promises, Lord. And you've made promises before that you've made good on. So we know you're going to make good on these promises as well. There's a city waiting for us. We're looking for it, Lord. God, rescue us from looking for it in our bank accounts. God, we long for the city that you are making for us. Fill with joy unspeakable. Feel with one day of delight only exceeded by the next day of greater delight. Filled with seeing you face to face, Lord. Tasting and seeing your goodness. No longer just believing in some of these things, but actually experience them all out. God, that day is coming because you are bringing it. Lord, we are grateful that there exists a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that the enemy cannot get his hands on, that sin cannot destroy it and corrupt it. God, we are grateful that such a kingdom exists. It exists in you. You are that kingdom. You are our great reward.
us in this room this morning, Lord. That gratitude would flood our hearts. That of all the things that we're in touch with, Lord, gratitude would be right there at the top. God, awaken in us, even in our difficult hour, awaken in us worship of you. Words filled with affection, longings, deep appreciation, amazement, and awe, and trembling. Our God is a consuming fire. He is beyond anything we've ever imagined. And yet he is near and he is a father and he's caring and comforting us. So Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for insights this morning. Thank you for your instruction to us, even in our difficulty. Lord, let our hearts now turn to you in worship, express ourselves to you in gratitude and in worship. Let's stand up together. the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm when the wings of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn in the suffering in the sorrow when my sinking hopes are few will hold fast to the anchor it shall never be
Vibrations around us, Lord, become unsettling, produce anxiety, drive fear into our hearts, oh Lord. May we find rest in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Y'all have a good weekend. Hope to see y'all next Sunday. Those joining us in live stream as well. Hope to see you guys soon.